What's up, fight fans? Welcome to the SB Nation MMA post-fight show for UFC 231, where in the main event of the evening, if you don't want spoilers, don't click a post-fight show link, Max Blessed Holloway put on a magnificent performance against Brian T-City Ortega. My name's Flying Brian J, and joining me is Mr. Positivity. You all asked for him, so I brought him back even though he's in Thailand, the Eddie Mercado. Hey, Eddie, what do you think? Brian, what's going on, man? Thank you for having me on. I'm uh, let's let's pray to the Wi-Fi gods that the connection stays good so that we can have this show. Um, but good talking to you. I feel like I haven't talked to you in forever, so it's nice to reconnect. Uh, and a pretty pretty cool card, decent card. Um, we got some couple of cool finishes, uh, an outstanding performance from Max Holloway. I mean, he, he really showed how next level he is. Um, we got a new flyweight champion in the women's division. Uh, the vacant belt is finally occupied um, by Valentina Shevchenko, uh, so that's super cool. Um, it was a decent card. A couple questionable um, officiating decisions, or uh, you know, there was a couple of referee moves that were questionable. Some things didn't get called. Um, some things were called but not penalized, uh, like cowboy grabbing the fence. Um, uh, someone on the prelims ate a bunch of knee illegal knees to the face. And uh, there was a wonky split decision where the judges gave two 30-27s and then a 29-28 going the other way. So um, other than that, um, it was a decent card, I guess. It was okay. The, the main card, I think, was pretty much fire. Well, when you think about all of those aspects put together, the the shitty refing decisions, the weird judging, uh, some crazy finishes, you know, no hook, rear naked chokes, that the – well, it was a no – no hook rear naked choke at the very end of the fight that could have been called a, a submission but then end up going to the judges all of that that's just that's so mma that had everything it's everything you could ever expect from a mixed martial arts card everybody is saying that ufc 231s for the hardcore fans but i think that if you you were hardcore and you brought your casual fan into it they saw everything that you could ever see in a mixed martial arts card yeah and even though there wasn't actually a submission Right, in we, that. Got a, we, we got a near or on the card at all. There was no no submissions on the night. No, Gunnar Nelson. Oh, there was Gunnar Nelson. I apologize. A phenomenal, phenomenal submission, and, and like a a street justice kind of moment where you know, like Cowboy, like I said, was grabbing the cage, preventing takedowns, but it didn't matter. Nelson still got his takedown and and was able to do his damn thing and dish out some fucking brutal, brutal elbows. I mean, it was a bloodbath so people who like blood you got your fix um, people who like the jujitsu you got your fix uh we got a walk off one punch knockout on the prelims from fucking diego lima of all motherfucking people first time like, in four years voted most unlikely to get a knockout most unlikely to stay in the ufc um most can't believe he's in the ufc like i'm happy for him that was that was cool good to see good to see that for sure yeah, and another thing that was so MMA is after he got that fantastic walk-off knockout, he went ahead and had to beg for $50,000 because it's Christmas season. That's another thing that's just like, that. that's that's the sport we watch. That's typical. It also had five decisions in a row. So if you're new to the sport, it, this card seriously had everything. A majestic performance finished the thing off. It was the well, card. real quick, Brian, can you, can you think of another single sport that when somebody wins, they use their time on the microphone to beg for money? Can you think of one other sport that does that? 
or has that as a thing? I don't even think that's a thing in curling. Yeah, no. They're probably well paid in curling. I don't. I have no idea what curlers make. Well, it doesn't. If they could make just like a normal person's salary. It doesn't matter. They're not getting punched in their mouth for a living. This is true. Yeah. This is true. But they do have to wear those shoes. Yeah. I mean, I bet I bet curlers per pull a lot of tail. I really do. Just curling the chicks in. Okay, not going to touch on that. Well, it's, I want to spend a lot of this post-fight show time talking about the majestic performance from Max Blessed Holloway because that was the highlight of the night. It was the highlight of December so far for mixed martial arts. It's you know, it's a young. But Brian Ortega would land a strike. And then Max Holloway would land like 17 as an answer. Yeah. Insanity. Who, who yeah, else does that? A big part of the reason why that was happening is the way Ortega defends is he kind of moves straight back. And he has that, you know, slick kind of boxing defense where he throws the elbow up. And I love doing that my damn self. So, like, I understand it. However, like, he would stop moving back thinking he was out of harm's way. But that he stopped like right at the end of Max's punches. And so like all Max had to do was just fully extend on his punches and he was tagging Ortega and just repeatedly and repeatedly. And I don't even know what the punch count was, but it, it got ridiculous. 236 like, to 88. Man, that's insane. Do you know how many head strikes that was? Because that was. I don't know. The, the offhand, I don't know the stats on that, but just 236 to 88 yeah. is outrageous. And like, like you said, it was majestic. But, like, Ortega was so game. Like, he, he, he went in there. He got busted up early, rallied in the third round. Um, but just he, he got outclassed. And that's, that's the bottom line is Brian Ortega got outclassed by Max Holloway. Holloway is just next level. Like, when he's firing on all cylinders, like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? He was stuffed. You're not going to take him down. Um, you're not outboxing him. You know, what are you going to do? I'll tell you what you do. You put him, you bring him up to lightweight, right? And you have him fight Conor McGregor again. That's what you do. That's the fight I want to see. Max Holloway, Conor McGregor too. Let's make that happen. It was interesting because coming into this fight, for some reason, Max Holloway closed as the underdog. And I think you put him in there at 155 pounds against Conor McGregor and he probably opens as the favorite, especially because of recency bias for mixed martial arts fans. But also, too, in the post-fight interview, Max was saying that he just wants to be the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. He was uh, fielding a question regarding Dana White saying that he needed to go up to 50, 155 pounds because he was too big at featherweight. And he said, hey, man, I'll go up to 155 pounds if that gets me closer to being the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. I, I was also thinking him versus Conor McGregor would be absolutely insanity. Or uh, there's some people in the comments saying maybe Max versus El Kukui at 155. Oh, man. Talk about like a janky kind of striking battle. Like they're both wiry. That could be really fun. And let's see if um, – I mean, Holloway was able to stop the takedown against Ortega, but Ferguson, man, is crafty. Real crafty, snap down city. I would love to see that. Um, but I honestly think uh, it's more for Conor McGregor. I think that's a better comeback fight for McGregor would would be the Max Holloway fight. I think that's more up his alley. Um, but Max can fight anybody. Anybody makes sense for him. 
to be quite honest. It's a lovely DC's place to be good, when when any fight, like we say, Max versus this guy, Max versus that guy, all of them sound fantastic. I mean, Max Holloway versus Justin Gaethje, who wouldn't watch the shit out of that? Mm. Yeah. Fucking. But, like, I mean, I think the real thing is, like, when was the last time that Holloway fought a wrestler? Mm, I never? I don't know. Never, yeah. Dennis Bermudez? Huh. I mean, woohoo. So. And he, and he lost a split decision to him. So the winner of Mendez versus Volkanovsky says Rob Amon in the comment section. That's something. Mm. Hungry, I like that one. I like that one. But honestly, it's hard to be Max Holloway and not go right into a title fight at 55. Um, would Khabib agree to that? Sure. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what Khabib's doing. I don't know what his future holds, honestly. He's, he's out there boxing Floyd Mayweather, uh, doing jiu-jitsu against Eddie Bravo. Who knows? Uh, yeah. Anything that he's talking, at least right now, he's only had the belt for a little bit, but he's only talking about money fights in weird areas and that's not that's not max holloway i love max holloway but that's not like a that's not the the masses the non-mma hardcores are not going to know they don't know who max holloway is you know they're not tuning in for that so that's that's not a money fight so that could be versus holloway won't happen but maybe maybe an interim of some sort if uh if enough time passes maybe they'll bring in like uh, Ferguson and a uh, Ferguson uh, Max Holloway for an interim just to keep the division from being completely stale and hung up. You know, I'm during this that. fight tonight against Brian Ortega, Max Holloway was doing a lot of uh, Nate Diaz type of stuff, throwing his hands up, you know, waving him in. Holloway versus Nate Diaz. And that's not money fighting. It's never going to happen, but like my mind, this that would be fucking awesome. The and volume striking sucks. of both of them. It's like it's kind of goes back to that Demetrius Johnson thing. It's like you could be the best fighter in the world, but like if you don't have that big following, it's hard to put you in money fights, you know, because it's all about the numbers. It's all about who's the draw, and you know, it's the, the draws are few. I mean, the money fights you got Diaz, you got Connor, you got Khabib. Ah, uh, that's really those are your big three as far as the um lighter divisions go but like i feel bad for max like i would love nothing more for the ufc to go to hawaii and and put on a card there and you know but i just i don't think it makes business sense for them to do it and so it probably you know it's not going to happen yeah probably not so going to happen I, I think that traffic tonight on the sb nation websites was not very good for ufc 231 like leading up to it it wasn't very good sometimes on the night of the fights it really pops but i think traffic was low and it was an amazing fight card even going in i i would have rated it like an eight out of ten heading into the fight card and coming out of it maybe just right on eight out of ten as well yeah i mean it was it was pretty good a little bit of everything like you said from prospects to champions to new champions to like just everything. It, it had a little bit of everything for everyone. That's for sure. But I don't know. Like I think it just goes back to the people not knowing who they are, who these people are outside of the bubble that we live in. You know, like the masses don't know these people. Also, it could be a little bit people saving up their hype for December 29th, Johnny Bones versus Alexander Gustafson. Maybe. Oh, yeah. 
the, see the casual fans know them. They know that fight. Yep. You know, they they know Joanna, you know, they know JJ, but they don't know Shevchenko per se. Speaking of which, so, in the co-main event of the evening, Valentina Bullet Shevchenko defeated Yoani and Jacek via four to one unanimous decision. The fight uh, was was kind of back and forth. I thought the third round, Yoana really turned up the volume, was doing good with the takedown defense, was putting on some big shots against Valentina. What was your overall take from the this vacant flyweight title fight? Uh, to me, it looked like Shevchenko was just the better fighter, the bigger fighter, just all around. Um, JJ just didn't have anything for her. Like Joanna was staying competitive, and she was landing some good, some some strikes here and there, and she was staying vertical at times, but she wasn't really doing damage. You know, like when Shevchenko was tagging, she was tagging, and when JJ was tagging, it was just like okay, she touched her target, she scored a point, but what what kind of damage was inflicted on Shevchenko? Really, it was slim to none. So I, I thought Shevchenko ran away with this one. And uh, here at Tiger Muay Thai, you know, she obviously trains here. So, like, everyone around me was just going crazy. So, you know, Tiger bringing a belt home and all that. Um, but, yeah, I think this kind of this kind of makes Joanna the, the Chris Weidman of the women's division. You know, it's like this is this is three straight for her, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, so she, had a win, she had a win in the middle against Tisha Torres. Oh, Tisha Torres. That's right. Um but as far as title fights, that's three straight title fights. She lost two different divisions. Um, I don't think it was competitive enough to warrant a rematch, at least not anytime soon. Uh, she holds several losses to Shevchenko. I think she has her number. Uh, I feel bad for JJ because she was like at the top, like the best, and now she's like she's like approaching Joseph Benavides territory, where she's just not going to get back to to holding gold. And it makes me feel bad for her. Um, but credit to Shevchenko. I feel like it was well-deserved, a long time coming. Uh, she should have she should have had this moment or this opportunity uh, with that Nico Montano fight that never happened. So it's good to finally see her get what you know she's been working towards. And, and uh, I think she's an excellent champion and an excellent representative of the sport. And uh, I think it's good for the division. I'm, I'm, I think it's good that this division is even a thing. Like, because... You know, not seeing someone almost die trying to make 115 and not seeing someone who should be at 125 struggling with larger people at 135. Like, more weight classes are a good thing. Like, that's why there's there's more weight classes in boxing, less weight cutting, less trauma to the body. You will have a longer career. Um, so, it, all in all, it's a positive, big positive takeaways for the women's flyweight division. I while I was watching it live, I was looking at the stats at the same time, and like you said, Valentina was just landing the harder shots. I came out of some rounds, and the strikes were like even, or even Joanna would have landed more strikes. I'm like, what? It just didn't feel like Joanna was winning almost ever. Just the third round, like I said, I think I think she got it. Felt like Valentina took it off a little bit, wasn't getting the takedowns. But as for having this 125-pound women's division, having more weight classes... The UFC is a content machine. Uh, they just content, content, content. We have to have a fucking fight card every Saturday, even if it's headlined by Neil Magny versus Santiago Genchibua Ponzinibbio. Why in the world would we have uh, less weight classes? Like we're, they, We think they might be getting rid of the flyweight division. I think that's really stupid. I think they should also add 105 pounds for the women division so we could have 105, 15, 25, 35, 45. I don't see why not. 
Absolutely. Add the atom weight, get rid of welterweight, and bring in the 65, 75 weight classes. Like, that's it's a no-brainer for me anyways. Um, but I guess it maybe it's just the overhead. The UFC doesn't want to have all these different champions, and they're going to have to pay more people the top dollars, especially, like, sponsorships with champions to get more sponsorship money and, like, all this. They already pay, like, very small percentage of how much money they make. So, like... If we was talking to them, fuck it, pony up, jackalopes. It would be nice, but since when? Did, when is that ever a thing, though, in the UFC? Right. Yeah, that's really sad. And Dana White said one time that he's not going to add 165 pounds because then we're just going to have guys jumping from 75 and 55 to go to that weight class. They they love talking about super fights. What? That just gives you more opportunity to have them. Yeah, exactly. See, you have that abundance mentality. Dana's coming from that scarcity mentality. Like, we only got so many elite 55ers, and we can't be spreading them out. And it's like, whatever, man. Like, that's that's a scarcity mentality. That's not, you know, I don't I don't dig that. I, I like the abundance mentality. I feel like it, it breeds success more often. But you know, what are you gonna do? We just got it. We're at, we're at the mercy of the um, of the machine that is the UFC. Right, and before we pass on to any other fights, I want to mention that you, you compared Ioani and Jacek to Chris Weidman, and our friend and cohort at uh, Bloody Elbow, Eugene S. Robinson, would love that because both of them are misty AF. And Hell yeah, Lost Battalion, like admirals, generals even in the Lost Battalion. Yep. Uh, and I'm sure he'll be all over them, all over JJ for this. Um but I guess it'll depend on what she says afterwards. If she comes out and she's like, you know what, I lost, I I just, I, I guess it depends on what she says, and and where she is, how how aware of she, how aware of herself is she in time and space? That's, we'll we'll see if she shows up to that post fight presser and, and the things coming out of her mouth. But tough loss for her. I kind of feel for her. I do. Yeah, but I did. I never thought she was going to win this fight coming in, so I don't feel terrible. She performed. Actually, I thought she was going to get finished, and she looked really? better than I thought she was going to. So, eh, you know. And I'm I'm interested. I'm excited to watch the post fight press conference when we're done here. I always watch it afterward, and then I'll know if if our friend Eugene is is ready to give her um, like the queen position in that Lost Battalion. I think that Chris Weidman is equivalent to the king of the Lost Battalion. Maybe she'll be sitting beside him on that throne. Let's talk about uh, Gunnar Nelson's performance a little bit more over Alex Cowboy Oliveira. The the submission that came via rear naked choke, Alex Oliveira tapped like immediately. When the arm was under it, immediately. When he ate, that right elbow came down on his mm-hmm. head and gave him a scar that's probably going to look like the lightning bolt on Harry Potter. He wanted out of that fight as soon as that elbow landed. I think he would have tapped out to strikes if much more would have happened, just the look on his face. But incredible. Well, just, just for the record, just for the record, I have never seen a single Harry Potter movie or read a book, just for the record. So I'm not sure what that reference means. However, it was a gnarly elbow, and some people around me were like, he tapped from the elbow, he tapped from the elbow. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why it was such a quick tap. Uh, but man, it was a mean elbow, though. It was like... A hellbow, a bloody hellbow, and dude was just crimson masked. Like it was so bad, it was it was leaking. And man, Gunner took the back and snagged that rear naked choke. And I couldn't have been more happy for him, especially coming off that uh, brutal knockout loss to Ponzinibbio. 
Like Gunner needed this. And Cowboy is no slouch. Cowboy is tough. Like he is a tough out for anybody. So to see Gunner, you know, hang tough in that first round, you know, because it, it looked like he was on his way to getting pounded out there in round one when, you know, Gunner took the back. He had the body triangle. The Cowboy somehow spun around in the body triangle, which is insanely hard to do, and then just started pounding on him and pounding on him and you can just see nelson's head had nowhere to go so it's just like stuck against the, the floor just getting pounded on and it was like damn this isn't looking good for mr gunny nelson but he got he came out got his takedown took full mount dropped his bows took the back got the choke it was uh good to see from him definitely good to see from him phenomenal and actually sbg the conor mcgregor's camps straight blast gym gets a lot of shit because the People say that the camp just it's Conor McGregor and Artem Lobov, but they went two and zero tonight. They had Gunnar Nelson getting this finish, and then Brad Quintana was the other guy that should have got the submission victory over Matthew Lopez on the fight pass prelim. So good on 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 the straight blast, Jim. Yeah, yeah, I'll give him that. Um, I'm not sure if the full mount elbow back take to rear naked choke is a, is a SBG Ireland uh, tactic. <laughs> But he was being coached by Kavanaugh, so yeah, they'll get the W for sure. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give him that. But I mean, the squad is is definitely Conor McGregor, and there is Artem Lobov and Danis. But like, it's not, it's not producing world beaters, or it's not producing um, championship caliber fighters outside of Conor. Right, definitely not. I just found it. It would be like if. Uh... Old Edmund Tarverdian went two and zero at a UFC event nowadays. It's like, wow, that's wow. Way, way to go, bud. That's <laughs> I have to give him a little bit of a pat on the back. Let's let's talk about the curtain jerker of the pay per view portion of this fight card. Tiago oh. Maheta Santos finished Jimmy the Poster Boy Manoa. At, this was my fight of the night. Absolutely, it was. It was only uh, five minutes and forty one seconds of chaos back back and forth violence pure and utter chaos yeah so much violence going on right off the bat santos comes out just plugs manua and it's just like right away i'm like oh no he's in trouble he's in trouble but manua wisely clinched up veteran move got himself back into the fight starts capitalizing on some of that aggressive slop that santos was throwing at him hurting santos santos getting wild throwing spinning shit and falling and you know it was just really back and forth like you couldn't catch your breath watching this fight like, you didn't want to blink. You didn't want to move. It was just all action the entire time. And then <laughs> come round two, Santos just catches Manu with this beautiful uppercut to left hook combo that just slept him. And it's just like, damn, Santos, you're a fucking problem at 205 pounds. You are a problem. And I, I love seeing that. Like, when guys move up and just start wrecking shop, like Dustin Poirier moved up to lightweight and did really well. Anthony Smith, same thing at light heavyweight. Tiago Santos, you know, fuck this weight cutting bullshit, man. Let's get more divisions out here and let's start and see. Let's start to see these guys perform at their at their top, at the best possible, uh, at their best abilities when they're not spending a lot of their energy trying to cut down weight just to rehydrate to the same weight as the other guy. Like that's that's silly. That's silly. Weight cutting is so fucking silly. I mean, I understand it, but it's my least favorite part about combat sports in general. It might be the most but dangerous man. part of combat sports, which is yeah, really insanity. Sure. People get paid to punch in the yeah. face, and then cutting weight's the most dangerous thing for their body. 
It's true, and it, it's unfortunate, and I really believe that that's part of what kills the longevity of fighters. You know, is is these weight cuts? Like people cut so much weight, and that just it's not good. It's just not good for you. But Santos, man, I'm, he's going to be ranked. He will be ranked uh, come Monday, I believe. And he's making his little run. He's got Anthony Smith up there that he's already got a, a decisive and brutal win over. So, like, he's he's got some claim at the top of this division. And I see no reason why uh, he's not going to continue on with his violent ways. Like, he is – like, his style and his, like, athleticism, his package, his total package is light heavyweight. Like when you think of a light heavyweight, Tiago Santos, like that's that's it. Like not technically the best, but definitely willing to throw with all his might and will sleep a motherfucker. Like that's this is Tiago Santos, and I love watching him fight. Before the bout, I predicted that he was gonna beat Jimmy Manua and then go on a similar run to Anthony Lionheart Smith. Because both these guys are coming up from middleweight, and it's it's weird that you're talking about Santos is going to be ranked when a guy who he recently defeated is on the cusp of a title shot just by moving up a weight class and being thrust into these destroy some legends t- type of fights. I think that Tiago Santos is going to be thrust into like a, a title shot sometime in the near future as well. Yeah, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they pin them against each other again, honestly. And that would be like only one of you can move on. Or they might start feeding Santos some of the uh, some of the legends also, and I know Shogun just got a win. So that, as much as I would hate to see it, that's probably um, that might be like the next dance for Santos is, at, is uh, Shogun Hua. As you said that, uh, RC Kim in the comment section said having Shogun versus Santos in Brazil would save money for the Hua family. Uh, transporting a coffin internationally is expensive. <laughs> Oh, that is so cold and accurate. Oh, man. No, but, but also at the same time, like, I've thought everybody was going to destroy Hua every time he walks out there. I thought yeah. he was going to get destroyed by Tyson Pedro. It, it didn't he happen. Almost did. He almost did. I know, but, but like, like the last oh, five times he's, so he's went to the cage, he's won four of them. And, like, every time I thought he was going to lose. Yeah. So, as uh, you should, like, that's, that's the smart pick. Like, yeah. Like, I watched I watched Shogun knock out Alistair Overeem in Pride. You know what I mean? Like, why is he still one of the top UFC, you know, fighters in the world? It, it doesn't make mathematical sense. But oh, yet, it's strange. And he's only like 34 years old. Yeah, it's crazy. He's like the exception to that rule about young fighters who whose careers end early. He's the exception. And I don't know how or why or what the fuck is in the water down there and in Curitiba or wherever. But, man, the dude is still fucking trucking along. He's, like, turning into Randy Couture, you know? If he fucks around and wins a title somehow, I'll lose my shit. I'll quit <laughs> MMA. I'll just leave the sport. I'm not – I'm done. Done. It's done. But, so there's, but there's that, a few comments about, like, what's next for Tiago Santos. Uh, anything in the top 15 of the light heavyweight division is going to be fine for Santos to be next. Uh, I'm going to – I always put him in my top three fights to watch, the videos that I do for the SB Nation MMA channel, and mm-hmm. whoever he fights next, I'm going to be like, okay, this fight's in my top three. It's got Tiago Santos in it. What else do I need to fucking tell you? Yeah, because he realistically could beat anybody in that division outside of John Jones and Daniel Cormier mm-hmm. and maybe Gustafson. 
But outside of that, like, he has a legitimate chance to knock out any of them, like, any of them. So, like, any fight would be exciting. I don't think I've ever seen him in a boring fight. You might have to go back really far. But His, his probably I'm least exciting fight would, would be against Elias Theodoro, and that's not his fault. Yeah, that's straight on Elias Theodoro's fault, which, you know, he won his little split decision tonight in the same kind of frustrating way. But let's talk about him for a second. So after he defeated uh, Eric Yaboy Anders via split decision, they showed some love to each other and respect in the center of the cage. And Elias said, hey, how long are you in town? And I don't know what Eric said, but he said, let's link up and smoke some weed together. That's <laughs> Did he? Well, he said, let's link up. And he like does the international sign for let's smoke a J. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, hell. And then I, in his post fight interview, him, man. and then in his post fight interview, he talked about uh, advocating for medical cannabis. I mean, the there is there's studies and studies and studies in favor of medicinal cannabis and the overwhelming benefits um, for recovery for mental health. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on. You know, even like CBD oil and and all that. So, I mean, good on him if he wants to be the face of that campaign. I think it's a good time in society to get on board with a lot of trees uh, being opened up across the United States and it, uh, the state's starting to decriminalize and legalize marijuana in the various states. Uh, I think it's a smart PR move by him to kind of get behind that. You see uh, the Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley, you know, he's he kind of developed a cult following by openly smoking his weed and hanging out with Snoop Dogg and there's a lot of the population that smokes weed and they can relate to that. And I think it's a good PR move by him. Um, I expect USADA to be banging on his door regularly. <laughs> That's kind of asking for it. Um, but, but it's not knows? banned Maybe. out of competition. So he's, he's set. True. But, um, yeah, right, 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 right. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good move for him. I think it will bring, it could bring potential endorsement deals his way and fighters need endorsement deals because, the Reebok, the Reebok deal is a sham. We all know this. This mm -hmm. is old news. So I, I thought it was a smart-ass move, like bypass calling someone out, especially after that performance, and go right into uh, promoting something else. And who knows? He might fucking revolutionize USADA and and, and completely do and help uh, or start the process of doing away with cannabis as a banned substance in competition. Who knows? Good Maybe, on him, though. That, that'd be Phenomenal if he were to do that for this sport. I'm not sure if he's 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 using the USADA angle to to position himself with this. But even if he's not using it to better our sport, I think it's a phenomenal thing for him to do. He's really good at positioning himself outside of the octagon with his uh, book cover stuff with his you know romance novel modeling. Being the, being the uh, ring girl for Invicta, yeah, or the ring man for Invicta. Excuse me. So his fights aren't that exciting I mean, his style just it's not that pleasing to watch because it's like a a run away and then like pitter patter you when you come in and then i'm going to run away again and then pitter patter you again so that's it's not fun to watch but mm -hmm. he's got to be one of the most uh, impressive with his posturing outside of the cage in this oh, entire yeah. sport conor mcgregor has the bravado where he talks a whole bunch of shit to make himself some money by being in the cage i think elias theodoro is not a genius, but he's very intelligent about what he's doing outside of the cage. Yeah, he's excellent at branding himself and aligning himself with brands outside of the octagon, which is super smart. And a lot of fighters should probably take note from him because since the shitty pay in the UFC is what it is, 
you have to you have to find other revenue streams outside of fighting or at least outside of the octagon like you just have to you you know the percentage of people who can just live off of fighting is very small uh, versus the rest of the population so excellent business man if you ask me and and uh, I think his post-fight interview was better than his performance in there himself. And I can't believe he won that fight. I thought Andrews won. Um, but, you know, he's 16-2 and two now, and you can't deny his record. And his, like, strikes landed per fight is actually really fucking high. It's just that none of them, none of the strikes have any pop in them at all. Yeah, they're not they're not significant, necessarily. Um, yeah. I'm, maybe the, I'm sure the ladies like him though, you know. And he's got great hair. He does. I can I can appreciate some great hair. Well, speaking of you know posturing outside of branding himself outside of the octagon, I think the main event, like a, a main on a horse, is his hashtag, and he got a little picture with it, like you do if you got something special going on on Twitter. So that's pretty fantastic. I, he might have himself a Pert Plus uh, sponsorship. That's it's fantastic okay. for him. Well, Pert, if you're listening, Pantene, check me out. I got the locks for days. Looking for that uh, shampoo sponsorship. Yeah, I'm sure Keep there's, a, I'm sure there's a few reps from them watching our show right now. Uh, all of them. I was. All of them are watching. Well, I just want to touch on that fight with Theodoru and Anders just before we get into our post-fight bonuses. It's you know speaking of Theodoru's kind of pitter patter, not much behind him strikes. I just kept wanting Eric Anders just like go through his strikes and hit him like he's, he he. Eric Anders seemed kind of scared of Theodoru's shots, or at least hesitant I, of them. I don't think he was scared. I think, you know, he's just really raw, and he's so athletic that he's he's way he, his like athleticism compensates for so much that if he didn't if he wasn't this athletic, he probably wouldn't even be in the UFC. So I think there's a learning curve there, and I think, you know. The pitter-patter, it's not that this, he was afraid, but it was just confusing. So whenever someone yeah, jabs true. at you or faints at you or whatever just moves at you, that's an input. So each time Theodoro does that, it's an input that you have to register, you have to account for, you have to think about. And there were moments where it looked like Andrew was like, all right, you know what, fuck this. This dude isn't hitting hard. I'm just going to walk through whatever. And, and he started tagging Theodoro. We even had him hurt there and, and had, him, had him rocked, knocked him down even. But uh, Theodoro's, uh, he's smart as hell. And he was able to use his fluff and, and use his strikes well enough to keep Anders honest. And he's crafty too. Like those head kicks were pretty sneaky and he was throwing them up there regularly. And it's like, they might not be hard, but you have to be like, okay, a head kick might be coming if I do this. So I think it's just An Anders inexperience in combat sports that is that's his detriment but i think he'll be back i think he'll be if he just keeps on i think he looked really good out there he looked in great shape he actually looked like a weight class bigger um mm. I, I wouldn't maybe be surprised he should, maybe if he he should up. go up to 205 pounds too just like i mean he went there for his last fight on short notice of course against santos but maybe he should just go there for a few fights yeah I don't think it'd be the worst thing, but I think it just comes down to getting his skills up, getting more experience, getting more comfortable. I think if they ran this fight back in like three years, it wouldn't go the same way. Right. And then great point about the intelligence of Theodoro kind of 
getting the better with the input on Eric Anders. Even in the post-fight interview, Joe Rogan asked Theodoro about, like, you're throwing some goofy shit out there, right? And Theodoro was like, hey, man, if I don't know what I'm throwing, how the hell is he going to know what I'm throwing? <laughs> just so much input, it's hard to keep up with. But let's get into it. You talked about how fighters make so little money. Let's talk about some fighters who deserve a little bit of extra money tonight. You mentioned that you think your fight of the night is Tiago Santos versus Jimmy the Poster Boy Manawa. On this post-fight show, I always give out $250,000 of post-fight bonus money because I, I'm actually not giving anybody anything, so why not give an extra post-fight bonus? So do you got three post-fight bonuses that, that you think are deserving? Sure. Um, man, just three? I feel like a couple people deserve it. I think Diego Lima deserves it um, because it's he's got three kids and it's Christmas time and he asked for it. <laughs> yeah, and, he and like all jokes, all jokes aside, though, like when I hear a fighter doing that, they're not fucking, they're not being funny. Like they're legit strapped for cash and they need the dough. Mm-hmm. So like, pay that man. So all the money to Diego Lima for two reasons, three reasons, four reasons. So breaking his losing streak, getting a a win in the UFC uh, in twenty eighteen. Uh, scoring a one-punch knockout, scoring a walk-off knockout, not finish, not following up with unnecessary strikes. I think he deserves all the money in the world for that. Class act, by the way. Very, very class act for not dealing out unnecessary punishment on the prize. And you can so see Diego his, Lima, his just his amount of joy on his face yeah. in the post-fight. It was uh, it was electric. Sincere. So he definitely gets a uh, give him all the money in the world. Um. Tiago Santos, and I think Santos might deserve some coin for that also. Might as well give Manua some, but Santos for sure, that was impressive. And he, he proved that he's, he's really something to deal with at 205. Gunnar Nelson, uh, only submission on the card, and it was, it was really that elbow that did in Cowboy Oliveira. So I think uh, that performance deserved uh, some bonus money, as well as Max Holloway for that dominant – I mean, it was dominant for the most of the fight. Even though Ortega was competitive, Holloway just really ran away with that and landed so many punches to the face, like more than I can recall in a recent fight. So that's um, Holloway deserves every bit of money that anyone can ever fill a boat up with. And, uh, yeah, so I'm giving those four out, actually. Well, I counted you as Santos versus Manoa as the fight of the night, so there's two. And then Holloway... Lima and Nelson. So that's five. Awesome. Uh, okay. Yeah. I'm going to pay all of them. Pay them all. I agree with those. Those will be my post fight bonuses as well. Holloway, Santos Manoa, Nelson, Lima. They all deserve that extra money. But in a perfect world, like our girl Angela Overkill Hill tweeted out, just give an extra, it doesn't have to be 50, give 25,000. Or something for every finish on a card. You you reward finishes. I think the fights themselves would probably end up being more spectacular. But then the, the people get paid more money. And then you could also give like yeah. the the two to four fifty thousands. Yeah. So uh, Campbell McLaren, I don't know if you're familiar with him, co-founder of the UFC, current CEO of Combate Americas. Uh, I did an interview with him a while back and. He was. Uh, I asked him how he incentivized his fighters to keep it standing, and he told me about a finish bonus that 
if any fighter got a finish, they got a specific, uh, it was only like maybe five grand or so, but they got thousands of dollars bonus just for getting, getting the finish. And like, that's so smart. Like, fuck the win bonus. Where's the finish bonus? Like that's, that seems like a way better bonus to have. Like do away with this dumbass win bonuses. And then you might, you might actually get some corners thrown in the towel. And then guys will be like, you know what? I want to finish this fight. I want that money, whatever. Let them, let that be the incentive is going for that finish. I think that would make it the fights more exciting by default and maybe even more safe because guys are more likely to throw in the towel or, you know, not fight when they probably shouldn't even be in there. That's my two cents anyways. I think you're absolutely correct. And I'm going to use what you just said as like a final statement for me for this fight card. I thought it was phenomenal that the doctor stopped the fight between the fourth and fifth round in the main event between Holloway and Ortega. I was doing a live play-by-play for the same YouTube channel during that. And I was saying, looking at how fucked up the left side of Ortega's face was, looking at how he hadn't won a single round of my scorecard and it just seemed to be getting worse. Uh, he got he had a lot of unanswered strikes. I thought either the corner needs to th- throw in the towel or the doctor needs to stop this thing. So I thought it was fantastic that we actually saw a justified stoppage, not by the referee, but by somebody in the corner. So it was the doctor this time. But thank goodness that these positive things happen every once in a while in MMA, in MMA and if we had the bonuses like bonus structure like you said it would happen more often yeah absolutely I agree with that we didn't do a WTF for the card should we do a WTF for the card do you have anything um yeah I could go to the the very first prelim um Alexander Rakic and Devin Clark there was a moment where Clark had Rakic up against the cage and was landing like all sorts of knees to the head when Rakic was clearly down and like the referee didn't even call it. He just kind of let him go. And I'm just like, what's going on here? Like how are, how are these knees legal? I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't understand that. So that was my WTF moment. I'm like, I thought this was MM, I thought this was the UFC. Like, what am I watching here? Did I, did I happen to tune into something different that I'm not aware of? Yeah, that was a pretty that, fucked up moment. That was my WTF moment. What about you? Do you have one for this card? Yeah, I thought about it early on while watching the fight card, and it's a, it's a positive what the fuck. And it just goes to, I think Paul Felder is really, really good as one of the commentators. I absolutely love him in the booth, and I'm just I'm kind of surprised by it. The guy, he's super well-spoken. <laughs> he's got a nice-sounding voice. He's obviously incredibly knowledgeable about the sport. And, and also, he's an active fighter. So Dan, I know Daniel Cormier does it as well and other people do it. I don't think Paul Felder's as good as Daniel Cormier, but I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? Paul Felder is the man. He's a, he's phenomenal. I love this man. That, that's funny to me because uh, some of the guys I was sitting with were like, what the fuck is this commentator talking about? Like, he's, he couldn't be more wrong about this and he couldn't be more wrong about that. Why is he saying this and why is he saying that? So it's funny to hear you be like, yeah, Paul Felder, that was really good. I think he's a really good commentator and I think he's an excellent fighter. And uh, he's about to fight James Vick, January 26th, mm-hmm. um, UFC 233, I believe. Uh, is it 233? Is that the fight he's, is that what he's fighting on? I think so. But, but nonetheless, I just uh, finished up an interview with James Vick. He, oddly enough, was out here in uh, Phuket, so we linked up. I got an interview with him. Check that out on bloodyelbow.com. It should be dropping maybe Monday, Tuesday, something like that. 
Uh, also, check out my Flight to Fight series. It's uh, I'm out here in Thailand training at Tiger Muay Thai. I'll be here for December, dropping vlog videos. Check that out, Bloody Elbow. Also, my uh, personal YouTube channel, Eddie Mercado. And uh, I'm actually doing a Thai fight, a professional Muay Thai fight at the end of all this. So you'll be able to see me get in there and uh, and actually mix it up and move out from behind the keyboard and, and see what it's all about. So stay tuned for that. I'm definitely tuning in, Eddie. I, I watched the first episode. like it a lot. I'm excited for you to win your Muay Thai fight. That's going to be dope as fuck. I appreciate Thanks, you for sir. joining me and, and sticking around for this whole time. That means a lot to me. Oh, I love it, man. I, I love being on your show. Always a blast. Uh, it was a pretty cool car with so much variety on it. Um, and, yeah, the weather's too nice to not do post-fight shows. Thank you, viewers, for hanging out with me for the duration, for hanging out with me and Eddie for the duration of this post-fight show. Please give the video a thumbs up. It would mean the world to me. So we've got 250 people watching it right now. I expect to have 225 thumbs up when we're done. You can follow me on Twitter at FlyingBrianJ. Subscribe to the uh, Bloody Elbow Presents podcast feed. Search Bloody Elbow Presents wherever you get your podcast. Also, you can get my podcast feed by searching for Flying Brian Show. Thanks again for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you next week where we'll be doing a post-fight show for the UFC on Fox event that's happening with a main event of Kevin the Motown Phenom Lee rematching Raging Al Iaquinta. Namaste.